And so many times when it comes to the commandments of God, we find many people not really understanding what the commandment of God is. So many times we think that the commandment of God is the Ten Commandments. Mm. Or then we think that the commandment of God was reduced to two commandments, which is love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And that is also not the commandment of the New Testament. The New Testament has got a different commandment. And I want to just read that commandment, and it's also in 1 John, but I'm just going to use this one here. It says from verse 8, it says, Here it is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. In other words, we will be disciples and the way in which our discipleship will be manifested in the manier ons in die disciplskap van die Heere blijf handel is dier baie vrug te dra. En wat is die vrug? Hy sê, as the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. In the next verse. If you keep my commandment, you shall abide in my love. And as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. So there's a commandment that is given. The commandment is to keep in His love. And what is that commandment in the, in, in the best form? It's in 1 John chapter uh, 2 verse 23. It says, this is the commandment of God, that you believe on Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There is no greater gebod there's not a higher law. There's no higher commandment than this one. And that is believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you. Maybe you've come this morning and you feel that I just sinned last night. I've got good news for you. If you want to be obedient to God, believe what Jesus Christ yes. says about you, even if you have sinned. And the word of God concerning people today is that I have forgiven you that you stand innocent before me because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore you are forgiven. That's God's attitude towards every person in the world. Is that Jesus Christ paid for the sin of the whole world. Didn't pay for the, for, for, for the sins of the Engel Kerk or the Achies Kerk or what, what's this? Levende Water or whatever. Is paid for the sin of the whole world. So that whosoever can believe that simple truth can experience the abundance of that life manifesting in their lives today. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the message that we are preaching uh, today. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And um, you know what? Before I read this, you know, when it comes to fruit bearing, so many times we think that fruit bearing is we hear the gospel, and now we're going to bear fruit according to this gospel. We are going to try to take the standard that Jesus placed, and we're going to live up to that standard. You know, Jesus Christ was not a new standard of how we must live. The law was a standard of how man had to live to be righteous before God. Now listen carefully. The life of Jesus, the way he lived, 
He didn't come to bring a new standard of living for us. He came to fulfill the standard of living that was given in the Old Testament so that we can have His life as a gift. And so many times we say, well, you know, Jesus did it this way, so I must do it now this way. Now listen carefully, I'm not saying that you're not supposed to see the life of Christ manifest in us. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, if you read the Bible to see what Jesus Christ has done, and then you think, well, that's the new law for the church, I must now do everything Jesus has done. My friend, <laughs> then you must go to the temple... You must wear the clothes Jesus wears. You must be circumcised. When, whenever somebody gets healed, you must command him to go and offer the sacrifice Moses commanded to be offered. You know, because that's what Jesus said. Jesus celebrated or he kept to the Sabbath laws. You must do all of those things. There's so many things that you must do if you want to duplicate what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus Christ has not come to give you a new standard of living. He's come to live your life on your behalf so that you can believe on what He has done for you and you can experience His life today. He has come to bring life to the whole world. He's come to live the life of every person, obeying the law on behalf of every man so that the righteousness of the law can be imputed and given to us as a free gift. We can't read the Bible and see what Jesus has done and think that's what we must do. It's not that. Jesus is not our new law. He is our life. He obeyed on behalf of the whole world. You know, we must realize one thing. And that is, so many times we say Jesus died for the sin of the world. And Jesus was resurrected for the whole world. So that we can stand as a new man before God. But one thing we throw out of the whole equation is that Jesus obeyed on behalf of the whole world. So it's not by your obedience to laws that you can be that you can stand holy before God, but that you can stand holy before God through the obedience of yes. Jesus Christ on your behalf. Yes. Amen. I remember one, one day I preached in the church and the lady came to me afterwards. She said to me, Dad, you know, your word is so wonderful. It can only be true. <laughs> it is true. It's all that is true. All the other stuff is a lie. You know, so many times we can say, but Adam disobeyed on our behalf and we accept that we are born as sinners. So easily, now all this in Sonder und Fangen geboren, praise the And we believe it. We believe that Adam's disobedience had a great influence in our life. But Jesus was called the last Adam. And let me tell you, the influence of Jesus Christ was much greater than the influence of Adam. And God got a billion times more right in Jesus than what Satan got right in Adam. The work of God in Christ is greater than the work of Satan in Adam. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. So if Adam could dump you into sin, why, cannot, why can't Jesus Christ dump you into righteousness? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen.
And the wonderful thing is, is uh, um, the love of God was portrayed in such a way. You know, God's love is not happy feelings from afar. From a distance. God is watching us. But He can't do anything. He's just watching. You know, one thing about God, He's not just seated in heaven, feeling love in His heart. God's way of love is, God's way of love was bringing in a system where the very being of God has been offered to man as a free gift. Where God could come and bring forth His life in every human being. That's the gift of God to man. That is the manifestation of the love of God. Let me read it to you in 1 John chapter 4. Listen to this. It says from verse 7, His beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Now listen to verse 8. He that loves not knows not God. Why? For God is love. So what he was saying is, and that word know also means to have experiential knowledge, to acknowledge. So it says, he that loves not is not acknowledging who God is, for God is love. In this was the love of God manifested towards us, because God gave His only begotten Son, uh, He sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Now listen to this. There's some depth into the scripture. He says, he that loves not, he that does not walk in love, there's a problem with him. He does not know God. Now you might say badly, but I don't always walk in love. Yes, in that area of your life, you don't know how much God loves you. That's all. That's as simple as that. And that's why when I don't walk in love, now you might be shocked when I say this, but listen to me, then I'm happy. Because then I'm going to go home and say, God, you know, I thought I knew all about your love. But clearly I can see in my life I don't know all about your love. I can go home now and discover more of your love because surely you want to reveal this to me. So there's something more about the awesomeness of the obedience of Christ, His death, His resurrection, the mirror in which I can look into the perfect law of liberty and realize how I've been liberated perfectly. Maybe I forgot about something that I saw in the mirror on how holy and righteous and full of love I am already because you dwell in me. So when I go back, I'm going to go and look into the perfect law of liberty and I say, Lord, surely I forgot about something about your goodness concerning me. Because when I look into that, I find that the Word of God bears fruit in my life. Let me tell you something. Jesus said in John chapter 13, Clearly, go read it. He says, of yourself you can do nothing. What he's saying is you cannot bear fruit of yourself. Yeah. It's impossible for you to bear fruit. Fruit works like this. A seed gets planted into the ground. Then that seed grows. It becomes a tree. And then from that tree you find fruit. You don't take the tree and give him five lessons in how to bear fruit. You don't command the tree to bear fruit. You make sure you plant the right seed. And that seed has got everything inside it so that it can bear fruit. 
the Bible says we're talking born of a corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed of God, the very word of God, the message of God's unconditional love. As we hear that, that word brought forth a new man inside us. What God has done brought forth a new man, and out of that new man, that word is bearing fruit. Hallelujah. That gives me rest. You know, so many times when I see, well, it looks as if I'm not bearing fruit year and year and year. I relax in the Word of God and I wait for the Word to bear that fruit. Amen. I don't try to put in my own willpower, try to change myself by confessing 20 times and do, walking around the town binding the devil. No. We rest in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. For that is what is done for you. Amen. So 1 John chapter 4 says, Here in His love, that He gave His only begotten Son. Now when I tell you, if I go to somebody on the street corner, or I go to um, somebody in a country where they haven't heard the name of Jesus, I'm telling you, listen man, here is the love of God, He gave His Son for you. You know what they will say? So what? So what? What does that mean? It's like telling you, you know, my son jumped off the roof and died for you. What does that mean? What does that mean? Then he goes on and explains what it means so that we don't live, so that we can live through him. What that means is that my life before God can consist out of the perfection in Christ and not my obedience to rules and regulations. So I can read that scripture like this. Herein is the love of God, that the life of Christ has been assigned to you as a free gift. You know how few people really feel loved today? Because only out of a revelation of what Christ has already done for you is where the emotion flows, where you experience love. I remember when I was in Bible school, I would do things right, and I would live right, and I would pray, and I would, I, I would do all the things that was commanded to me that I thought was a commandment out of my own commandments that I made and that, were, that came through the, 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 the religious church system. And there would be times when I feel so loved of God. But I realized later on that that was not the emotion of love, it was the emotion of self-righteousness. That's what it actually was. I felt good because I got it right. And then I thought that's a feeling of God loving me. But the first time that I realized, it's not by my works. It's not by any obedience on my part to any commandments in the Bible except the one to believe on what is freely given. When I realized it was not by the works of the flesh, but it was not by my own hard work and power. When I realized that, that, that His life is my life. When He was obedient, I'm obedient. I can't be seen as disobedient ever again. Because can Jesus Christ be seen as disobedient? Impossible. The only disobedience that there is is to be disobedient to this doctrine of good news. You can go and read that in 1 John chapter 3 from verse 20. The, the, the only disobedience there is is to be disobedient to this gospel of grace. And not believe this good news. But once you believe this, you will experience in your heart how it feels to stand before a God and there's acceptance from God towards you. And not rejection. Mm. Hallelujah. So the first time I felt love was when I know what it is to live through Him. 
We go before the Father and say, you know what? Here I thank you, I will for my friend give a And the answer to that prayer is not based on anything I've done financially in the kingdom of God, but it's all based on the perfection of Christ and His obedience upon, uh, on my behalf when He walked the earth. Now, if, if we, with this understanding, could look at what uh, Christ, say we could be, uh, uh, say Jesus could come again and do the whole thing over, and we could look, or we could have a video, you know, to go back in time and see how He does it, and as we see Him being obedient, we say, oh, hallelujah, there I am obedient now. Because he did it on my behalf. When he was tempted by Satan in the desert, he says, I shall not live by the law, but I shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Oh, he, he didn't fall for the temptation. Oh, I made it. When he didn't fall into temptation, oh, Jesus, I'm seen as righteous. I am righteous because he did it on my behalf. Isn't that beautiful? That is the love of God. Let's go to Matthew with you. That was his introduction. We're getting into what I want to preach now. Hallelujah. Amen. Right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. We're going to talk a little bit about the forgiveness of sins. And how we are forgiven. You know, we are not forgiven because God decides not to be angry. That is a very low form of forgiveness like obedience, you know, if you, I don't know how to say this in, in the English, but as you hear a thing, it plugs besef. My broer, I professor, is the laagste form van godsdienst, wat al is. Jy kan die laagste form van godsdienst krijs, plugs besef. Ek het, ek het het besef, dit is my plug. Ek sal my kerk op gaan volgen, jy weet. Ek doe dit van my plugs besef. Voor baie laagste form van godsdienst. The highest form of godliness is when the Almighty comes and lives in you. are not under any obligation. But when Christ's life is formed within us. And that is not by you trying hard. It's by God living in you. The, you know, for Christ to live in you, the emphasis is not on what you must do. The emphasis is on Christ living in you. It's His work, not my work. It's Him living in me. You know, I came to a place where I said, Lord, you know, if, if, I'm a person with a very strong will. So if I put my mind to something, I can do it. Doesn't matter what. Tussie boerder ons is, die dag breek, dan maak ons om raak. So, you know, we, we will do it. We're going to see it. I don't care. Comes hell or high water. I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to get it right and I'll push through. I don't care how many people get hurt or how many people think I can't make it, I'll do it. Now, I'm, in, in my own flesh, I'm like that. I'm a strong world person. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, when I came to the revelation of grace, I said, I thank you for this revelation of grace. Because even if I can get it right by living the law and do everything right, for instance, the law says, you shall give to those that are poor. 
You know, I go and I give to somebody that's poor. And you shall pray. And you shall not covet. And you shall not do all those things. And then I, if, even if I do all those things and I get it right, I don't want that life. Because there's a difference between that life and when Christ lives in you. You know, the one is motivated from obedience to scriptures. The other one is motivated from an indwelling life. And this is the difference. When you see somebody that's poor, you feel compassion. And that compassion compels you. When I see a church like this, inside my heart there's a fire that says, Oh man, I want every person to, to know and understand this unconditional love of God. And why can God live out of an emotion and a feeling? But I must live out of death, obeying the scripture. Why can't I also feel it? I want to tell you something. God has made us to make emotional decisions every time. We live by feelings, my friend. Every one of us, every decision we make is based on feelings. You came to church because you felt you wanted to go to church. You eat the chocolate because you feel you want to eat the chocolate. You watch a movie because you feel like watching a movie. And now we've come with this thing, well, we can't live by our feelings or by our emotions. We're just going to live by a decision of our will. Well, I've decided and I'm going to stick through. That's no way of living. That's not the life of God. The life of God is when purity and who Christ is has come into your heart by having a revelation of His obedience on my behalf, His death on my behalf, His resurrection on my behalf, seeing myself as a brand new man where there's no lack and no need even where God Himself cannot bring in an accusation against you. Even God Himself cannot bring in an accusation against you. When you realize, and when that life comes inside you, and that life starts to live, you will find that every emotion that comes in, in, into your life is that of purity, is that of God, is God living inside you. Is where I, when you think of a crusade, you think, oh Lord Jesus, people, those people are so valuable. They've been paid, they've been bought with the blood of Christ. They are ignorant of the truth of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for them. I'm going to preach this. And thank you, Father, that I can preach this with, a, with, with love in my heart. Not because I'm trying to, but because that's in my heart. Where the life, the love of Christ compels us. That's a high life. Imagine you, you give your money at church because, you know... You don't want to feel guilty later. <laughs> now you give it. It's the lowest form of giving you can find. It, it contains death. But if you can feel a compassion for the work of God, and out of that you give, because the life of Christ is inside you. I mean, that is so much better. And that's where, the, you know, we've got this teaching of, you know, you must lay down yourself. You must lay down the old you. You must crucify your flesh. <coughs> Let me tell you what that means, interpreted into grace. In Afrikaans, you say, the eie ek moet wit. Eie ek. Want so altijd in die eie ek is die ene dat hou van die, hou daarvan om die TV te kyk en te relax. En die op vakantie te gaan. Dit is nou die eie ek, hy moet dood, hy moet net dit wat zwaar, dit is al wat ek mag. Want die eie ek ken nog iemand wat iets goeds wil hee, dit is verkeerd. 
Als mijn oud een rondie wil hee, van gezicht, om die eie ek dood. Sy moet lijst het getrommel, met zeker sap op 45. Nou, hoor ek sis. Die eie ek is so many times we thought that the, you know, the, the, the I in my life must die. To try and say this in English. I must always die to myself. I, I'm not allowed to have anything good or anything nice. And that's what we thought. But that's a lie from the pit of hell. It talks about I must die. It is the I that thinks that he can do it by the law system. That I must die. So that Christ can live inside you. That's what it's all about. Amen. Well, I can make it by my own power. I can make book here. <laughs> Prayer is not something you do to move God. Yeah. Prayer is something that flows out of the heart of a person because he realized how God moved in Jesus Christ. Yes. And out of a revelation, we speak. You know your prayer life changes the moment you realize who you are in Christ. That God does not see your sin. Now the difference between a Christian and any other belief there is, is this one thing. The God we serve is the only God in the universe that is not sin conscious. The verskult is in Christenskap, in the Muslim, in the Buddhist, in Hare Krishna, en enige type van selfmeditatie geloof, is hierdie een ding, ons God is die enigste God, wat nog ooit bestaan het, wat nie sonde bewis is. But unfortunately, that had not been preached in churches. Our God was this behavior modification God. That's been what was represented. Modify your behavior. Because if you can modify your behavior, then God will smile at you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I want to tell you, it's not when you live holy when God smiles. The Bible says when Jesus was born, the angels, the heavenly hosts came into this atmosphere and they proclaimed something very profound. They said, peace on earth and goodwill towards all of man. That peace on earth doesn't mean don't fight with each other. That's not what it means. I said, Fred of Arda, in Afrikaans is what I said, and the means a vow the heart. In Afrikaans betekent, in die Grieks betekent hy een goeie reputatie was die mens toegeskryf. Hallelujah! God has assigned a good reputation to your name. So when God looks at you, the reputation that stands behind your name, when He draws your file, is the very reputation of the resurrected Christ. Yes! And you know what? That's not a theory. That's not something you can... That, that's not pie in the sky that we must decide to... Well, let's, let's believe that so that we can feel happy in church. But we've got a harsh reality out there. Somebody said to me not too long ago, you know, Matthew, this gospel of grace is wonderful, but you can't run a church on it. Because people's got problems. The problems they have is because of an absence of the manifestation of Christ in their lives because of a lack of revelation of who they are. 
That's all. And now because of a lack of revelation, preaching the very unconditional love of God, who Christ is in somebody, knowing that he's li- He doesn't have His own life. Let me tell you something, you don't have to lay down your own life. Christ laid down your old life on your behalf. And He stood up into a new life, so that you today can accept Colossians chapter 2 from verse 1. It says there, you have no life. There's only one life, and it's the life of Christ, which is your life. You don't have any other life but the life of Jesus. Rejecting the life of Jesus is, is, is bringing condemnation over yourself. It's not God judging you. It's you not willing to, to, to partake in the only life you have. In your physical body, you've only got one heart. If you cut the veins to your heart, you know what's going to happen. You're going to die. In the same way, you've got only one life. It's the life of Christ in heaven, yes. hidden in heaven with God. Yes. If you don't have any other life, that's the only life the human race has, is that life. And when we believe that, when we say we see that, and that revelation comes to our mind through acknowledging that, we find the life of Christ manifesting in our lives. You don't have any other life. You know, when that reality starts to come into your mind, you come to God without a consciousness of sin, because Christ is sinless. And you don't have any other life. So, how can I come before God but with the only life I've got? How can I come before God without presenting myself with the only life I have? I have got no other life. <coughs> if you reject that life, what do you present? You present death. But what the gospel is about is all about uh, uh, what Christ has done, the only life that there is. And us acknowledging Amen. This is not just a theory. Let me tell you something. If you are very young and you're still full of fire and excited for the law, let me tell you something. You're going to become fire. You're going to become fire. Maybe you survived in some way and you became older and you are set in your ways. Saying, well, the Afrikaans says, we are not the grace where the old people have learned, for them. But what if the draad on the verkeerde plek gespan het my doen? You are on the ground where you don't have to my brother. What we can do is we can simply accept the lines that Jesus Christ has drawn. The lines that He has drawn is this. In me, we have life. So many times we think that God's vision is to change us. We think that God tolerates us. Here are my statement. No. Listen. I remember when I was in school. There was a teacher that just tolerated me. There's no boldness. I understand why she just tolerated me. But forget about that now. 
How I felt when I came in her presence was, you know, you, you just want to do everything so right because you don't know how on the edge she is. Because you pushed her to the edge. And so many times we think God Almighty is a God of love. He's just standing on the edge and he's biting his lip, holding out with the human race. That's not true. That's not, you know what the Bible says? It pleased the Father mm. to give his son. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes we think, you know, God, I, I, I'm a normal man. I heard about the life of Jesus Christ. I accepted the sacrifice of Christ. Hallelujah, I'm born again. Then we say, well, God loves me so much, but he loves me so much that he's not willing to keep me the way I am. And his vision is now to change everything in my life. Now, if I get married, before I get married, or my marriage vows, I say to my wife, you know, my love, my vision, I like you the way you are, but my vision is to change you. <laughs> We've got a bright future. Trust me. I'll keep up with you. Do you think she's going to feel that? No way. But that's, that, that's what happens between people and God. God loves you, but He's, He doesn't like you the way you are. He wants to change you to, to, to what He wants you to be and how He wants you to act, and then the full love will flow. And so many times you know you come into the presence of God, you've done something wrong, you see a smile on God's face, but that smile says, Listen, we've got stuff to sort out. And the apple get the skull with that. That's not the way it works. That's not the way. Hallelujah. That's not the way. I'll sit in the Himmel and I. Well, you know, maybe you'll come in two weeks and pray and then I'll sort it out. Because you've got this problem and that problem and that problem, I'm going to sort all those things out. That's not the way God works. God loves you. He loved you so much. Why? You were a sinner. That he gave his son while you were a sinner. So how much more? Listen to this. Has he not given all things yes. with Christ yes. two thousand years ago? Yes. That's what the scripture in Romans 8 says. It doesn't say he will later on give all things. <laughs> how much has he not given all things already yes. with Christ two thousand years ago? So that we don't have to worry and say. You know, well, now I'm in Christ, I better live up to the standard, otherwise God cannot bless me. So many times we think that God sits in heaven on this big box of money. And then He sits on that box and He says, well, you've got the Holy Spirit out of me, and you've got my Son out of me, this money you're not getting out of me. That's not who God is. God is a God that gives. God that loves. Yes. You know, let me tell you something. If somebody's willing to sacrifice his son and keep back money, there's something wrong with the God. Yeah. <coughs> Big problem. He loves stuff more than his son. I don't want such a God. Because I'm better than such a God. That's just the way it is. Listen to me. I'm not saying I'm better than God. Listen to what I've said. I've said. Say to yourself, Iman said it, but they say <laughs> What I mean is, if God was a God, 
that places a higher value on money than on his own son, and all of you here are better than that guy. in the name of Jesus. So if you ask, and you come and you've got things in your life that's wrong, and you ask in the name of Jesus, you ask somebody who's willing to bless you in spite of your mistakes. If God must only bless people because they've done everything right according to the laws, He will not be able to bless anybody. But He blesses us in accordance to our value to God. For your value to God is exactly the same as that of Jesus Christ. If He was willing to give His Son for you, what's your value? If I put a, if I put a painting up here and we've got an auction, and I tell you, this is the painting, let's be on it. What will the value be? The works the what? The person is willing to pay the most. That's the value of it. In the, same, in the same way there was an auction in heaven and you came there in all your sin and the angels were there and the demons were there and all the heavenly hosts were there having an auction to buy you. And Satan made his being. And other things made their be, but then God stood up and said, I'll pay with myself. And everything that I have and my kingdom and everything I'll pay with in his sin. Because that's his value. So what's your value? You've got the same value as God and everything he possesses. Now start to believe that and see how that belief changes your life. It might be a theory to most of us today. But I tell you it's a reality in the mind of God. God's not deceived. You know so many times we think of God sitting in heaven and when it comes to the remission of sins we think it's like uh, you know uh, um, you know, God looks through the blood of Jesus and then he sees it as clean. That's not true. You know, if my wife comes, if, if people come and visit me and I ask my wife, I said, my lover, you know, we're someone going to sit here in the kitchen, like a coffee kid off, got a nice fireplace in the kitchen, and said, listen, it's cold, it's winter, we're going to sit here and uh, drink coffee. Can you just wash those dishes with you? And I get the guy, um, you know, half an, hour, half an hour later, we come into the kitchen and there's the dishes. And then she says, uh, I said to her, my love, man, I asked you to wash the dishes. And then she says, man, just take the sunlight liquid, you know, and just look through it. <laughs> Sometimes that's how we feel. We feel God is deceived, you know, because we are sinners. <coughs> God just deceived. He's just looking through the blood of Jesus, then he sees me as clean. Listen, man, you're clean. Yes, sir. 
in the blood of Jesus. He has forgiven the sin of the whole world. His name is Jesus. Amen. Listen to this. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and they shall bring forth a son, and you, it says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So what was his name? He was called Emmanuel, and he was called Jesus. So whenever God is with you, there's remission of sins. Isn't that beautiful? Whenever the gospel is preached, it must be a gospel of your sins are forgiven. If it's not a gospel of your sins are forgiven, but a gospel of a consciousness of sins and a consciousness of shortages and a consciousness of how you don't qualify, I want to tell you something, it's not the gospel of God. Paul says, if I come or an angel come and preach any other good news than the good news of God that saves people from their sins. So whenever people preach, what must they preach? How God saved us from our sins and how we are righteous in Christ Jesus. Any other message than that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Run, brother. Counselor, membership. I remember the one time I said to the, uh, one preacher came to me and, I, and, and uh, we, we were speaking and I said to him, you know what, there's, um, there's this group of people in the United States, now for those of you who don't know, I've got an internet church, we do this live broadcast now, people can watch us anywhere in the world, we, I've got an internet church, people, you know, slot in like that, and then there was people from the United States, I don't even know exactly where, they said, listen, there's a, a lot of people that decided they can't sit in the church that is so full of the law. They're going to leave the churches and they're joining the web church. So I told this pastor this. I thought he's going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so then he said to me, no, you know, that's not right because what about caring for the people, the care of the people? I said, my brother, under law, there's no care. There's only destruction. You want to tell me? I mean, there's care. Is it in a hospital? You know, in the bed there, they care for you, but the, but the food is tannic. Those of you don't know tannic, I mean, it's some of the greatest poison you can find. That's the food. In hospital, caring for you with death. I said, my brother, I want to tell you something. When it's a message of condemnation, run, brother. Run. You don't need that care. The care we need is the one that flows out of the unconditional love of God. A revelation of what Christ has done for you. A, a place where the name of Jesus that is saving people from sins. The presence of God. Emmanuel. Whenever you say, man, God is here, you must know there's forgiveness of sins. There's no condemnation. What will happen if God appears here? He will say, you are forgiven. You are righteous. That's what happens. It's not going to stop with thunderbolts and lightning. You know, oh yeah, you, you watch that pornography. Hey? Oh yeah, I remember. I never forgot it. Hey? So I'm going to sort you out somewhere now with lightning bolts. <laughs> I don't care if my son died for your sin, but I'm angry now. That's not who God is. God is a righteous God. And it would be absolutely unrighteous for God to go and punish you for your sin. Ooh, one stop. 
Ja, maar nou is altijd vrees weg. Wat moet ik dan nou zo met haar doen? Behalve banweers. Hij luistert nu. Als meer als banweers in die koninkrijk van God. Krijg je weer vrij. Listen. If the punishment for sin was upon Jesus Christ, did he pay for all the sin of the world or some of the sin? The Bible says clearly, and Afrikaans says so beautifully, I say, I shall geen zonde ongestraft laat blijven. He will let no sin go unpunished. Go read in Ezekiel 34 from verse 7, 8, 9. He will not, he, he says, he will buy no means go let any sin go unpunished. So did he go, did he punish all the sin where you disobey the law? Did he punish that in Christ? Yes. Now, it would be unrighteous towards Jesus for God to pick out something you've done now and say, well, Jesus, I know you've died for this, but I'm going to punish it again in Him. The only judgment that there is left is for those they don't accept this wonderful truth that I'm preaching to you. That's all. And that judgment works like this. If you are drowning out in the ocean, and there's the best, I, I wish I could have a better explanation, but the best I can come up with. If you're drowning out in this freezing water out in the ocean, and the lifesaver comes with a boat, and you're in the water, and you refuse the salvation that he brings. How will you be saved? It's not because the lifesaver is angry with you. You're killing yourself. The lifesaver is begging with you. But you refuse. He's picking you up, putting you in the boat, and you jump in the water. <laughs> I'm going to swim home. <laughs> but you're 40 miles out. The temperature of the water is 8 degrees. You're going to die. Your desire to swim to the side was going to kill you. So many times we think that we can attain to the promises of God by obeying the Lord. Let me tell you a good example of that is if I, if I give you, the law has got a wonderful promise. The promise of the law is life. If you can obey all it, you'll have life. It's, it's like telling, telling you, listen, I've got a nice, um, you know, I don't know, will you know where Halifax is? It's close to New York, a bit north of New York in Canada. Just north of Halifax, you find that the icebergs, they float in the ocean. It's cold. It's, just, it's close to where, in Halifax, is the graveyard of the people that they got from the Titanic. You know? So, well, anyway. So, so um, say, I, say to you, I've got the Canadian account, I've got 10 million US dollars. It's yours. That's the promise. It's a beautiful promise. But there's just one thing you must do. Just one thing. Very simple law. You go to the ocean here in Atlantis and you swim to Halifax. <laughs> then you get it. It's yours. <laughs> Brother, I don't care how strong you are. You're going to die. That very promise is what's going to kill you. 
It looks holy. It looks wonderful. It, the promise is life. But your inability to swim all the distance is going to keep That's Romans 8 verse 1 to 4. Explain that. It's going to kill you. But then somebody came. His name is Jesus. He swam over. Got the money. Swam back. And sitting on the shore with all that money. It's yours. And you're busy with your swimming lessons. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get to the, a bank account that's already in. Yes. <laughs> God has withdrawn life yeah. out of the heavens yeah. and deposited into your heart. Yeah. Amen.
He said, listen, I'm preaching to you that He is the Lamb of God that was slain, and that means that you are now forgiven. Amen. So I want to declare to all of you seated here, maybe there's somebody the first time in your life in a church, I want to say to you, be known unto you, that through Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven. Listen to the next verse, I like the next one. It says, and by Him, all that believe are justified from all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. You know what that means? That means when the law of Moses cannot justify you. When the law of Moses, if you've tried all the loopholes in the law, you are still found guilty. That's where Jesus Christ says, innocent. Let me say it again. Where the law finds you guilty. He says, let it be known unto you. Hermanus, let it be known unto you today that through Jesus Christ I preach unto all of you your sins. And you've been to those who believe I want to tell you, you are justified from everything where the law of Moses finds you guilty. Mm. So, even if you're guilty of breaking a law, I declare unto you today that you are forgiven. And I must say this, I must do the next part. As well, it says, Beware, therefore, because of this truth, pass on, lest that comes upon you which was spoken of the prophets. Behold, you despisers, you wander and perish. Now, what he's talking about, he says, Behold, you despisers, he says, Look, you that despise. You stand in awe of what I've just said, and then you go away and die. Because he can't accept it. He says, Behold the despisers, you wander and perish. For I work a work in your days. Let's look at what the work of Jesus Christ is. It's this. A work which you shall in no way believe, though a man declare it. This is good news. This is very, very good news. Don't let it be so good in your mind that you can't accept it. Now this is too good to accept. The Bible declares that it's so good that you will even find it difficult to believe even if a man tells you that thing. So what he was actually saying is deep in your heart you are already knowing there is such a good news. And now even if somebody comes on top of that and tells you that you might even still find it difficult to believe. Because it's so good. It's so good, and even if you're guilty, you are innocent. Now, how did God take away sin? Two ways. Number one, He took the punishment for sin. And then, He removed the law. Forgiveness of sin is not just God, well, I'm not angry with you. No, no, forgiveness of sin is, the word forgive of sin means 
to set free from the dominating power. So the power that made you sinful is the law. Now, if you don't believe that, let's read it. My brother, I want to tell you, Christ has set us free from the curse, not of the law, but the curse of the law. From the curse of having the law. Let me tell you, it's cursed to stand under a law and have a law dictate to you how you need to live. God, want, God doesn't want you to act right. He wants you to have life. I prayed in my church in, in, in Cape Town, in um, Belleville. The difference between the real thing and the law is like this. The real thing is God lives in you. There's no law. It just comes by love in your heart. It's Christ living in you. And then we get the acting school. Where they teach you how to act like God. Thinking that if you act exactly like God, then the name holiness can be written against or next to your name. Even if you act 100% like God. 100% holy. That cannot make you holy. Let me put it this way. Repentance from your sins can never save you. To stop the drink can never save you. To stop the smoke can never save you. To stop to fight with your wife can never save you. Even if you repent from all your sins, it cannot save you. Because we are not saved by stopping our sins. We are saved by what Jesus Christ has done for us. And accepting that sacrifice. The Bible, turn it time within, we must confess our sins to be saved. No, the Bible says you must confess Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 Hallelujah. If you believe with your heart and confess Him as Lord, yes. you shall be saved. Yeah. Sometimes we think we are saved by simply stopping our nonsense. Let's define nonsense. What is sin in the eyes of God? The Bible is all unbelief of sin. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will convict me of sin, righteousness and judgment. Of sin, for we have not believed on him. Not sin, sin. Sin in the eyes of God is rejecting such a great salvation. And I, want, I don't want to condemn you. I want to just tell you, Jesus Christ has brought this great salvation. And there's no other way. There's no other way for man to be saved. Man received salvation in Christ. The Bible clearly says that. He says, you, you know, everybody, listen to this, everybody in Israel was saved out of Egypt. Everybody. Free from their choice. They were just saved out of there. In the same way, God has saved the whole world from the law. But now, the promised land is entered by believing in the goodness of God. That's why I say so many times, when I first time I believed in Jesus, I fell, I opened my eyes in the promised land. I didn't know any other place. And then we talked about the desert. You know? You've got to have a desert experience. God's purifying it. Imagine, I take my wife, use this example many times, and we drive, we live in Douglas. We, we stayed in Douglas. 
I don't even know how hot it becomes in that It's a semi-desert. It, 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 it's semi-karu, what's that black when you wash up? Kalahari. It's hot. You get 200 millimeters of rain max a year. Well, that's the greatest farming area I think there is because of all those, because the orange river and the Nile river meets there. All the irrigation and stuff. But if I, if, if I drive on a nice day, it's 45 degrees Celsius. And I tell my wife, listen, just look at the tire. I think the one tire is flat. She gets out and closes the door. Sit there with the air con. I've never left her. I'm not forsaking her. But I'm with her. She's in the desert and I'm in the air con. <laughs> I'm testing her. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, God tests everybody, so let me test her. <laughs> That's what we believe about God, He tests people. He doesn't. You don't make a toots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't make a toots. You only test something if you don't know what it is. Take off for a test drive because you don't know how what how the car feels. Is the seat comfortable for you? Isn't your legs too long for the thing? Is it you know you, you want to first test drive before you buy because you test the thing to see if it qualifies to your standard. Do you know why God? Do you know why God doesn't test man anymore? For man is qualified in Christ. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't test you. He knows exactly. He knows you qualify. <laughs> Jesus was tested on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know God tests us. Yeah, but he tested Abraham. Of course, Abraham was under a different covenant. Under the law. No, but the law was given after Abraham. No, no. The law was implemented through Adam. Eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then they died. The wages of sin is death. Why did the people die in the Old Testament? From, from Adam to Moses. Why did they die? Because they were in sin. What sin? Of not having the life of God inside them and seeking justification by works. But the law was not given. It doesn't matter. Even if the law was not written down, it doesn't mean it didn't exist. A story first exists in your heart before you write it down. Saint, it first exist. Then, well, only written down in Exodus with Moses. So, let, let's get to this. Um, now, I, I made a racial statement that I need to clarify about the testing. Here's my wife in the desert. I'm testing her. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. You know, Douglas, at 9 it can be 40. It holds on like that the whole day. Then you get a hot wind blowing. Like you can't imagine. Imagine she sits there. Here's my beautiful wife. And Mark from all who's saying to if somebody stops there, they ask, what are you doing? No, I'm building a relationship. We're <laughs> <laughs> building a relationship. We're getting closer to each other. <laughs> we don't want that. We said, that guy's mad. He wants to murder people. He must go to jail. I think we think God's like that. Are we in the desert? No, we open our eyes in the promised land. I tell you, you, you sit here, Jesus Christ has already saved you from the Lord. He's already saved you from your sins. He's already done that. There's nothing you can do about that. 
But if you can hear this word and believe it, you open your eyes in a promised land that flows with milk and honey. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So God doesn't want to put you through a hard time to purify you. Christ went through a very hard time to bring purification for the church. And He are made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. It says in verse 55, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The strength of sin, or the strength of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the Lord. So what makes sin powerful in your life? The law. The law. Now, maybe I've said some stuff that's radical to you, but listen to this. The Bible says in Hebrews, you must say, but the bad thing, God chastises those that he loves. Amen. That's why God chastises us from a law way of thinking to a grace way of thinking. The chastisement of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was the chastisement of the law unto the Hebrew people. It was not using sickness and disease to chastise people. If sickness and disease teaches people about God, then the people in Ethiopia must send missionaries to America. <laughs> Zimbabwe must be the holiest nation there is. <laughs> Our time doesn't teach you anything. We don't have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors in hard times. We've got teachers teaching you the word of God, bringing correction in the word. So the chastisement, maybe you feel, and the word of God says, chastisement is not nice. So maybe you hear this this morning, and you feel, but this is not nice. You know, I've believed like this for 10 years. Now I'm hearing something that sounds different. To be corrected like that is not always nice. Because there's two things you've got to acknowledge. You've got to acknowledge what Christ has done, and you've also got to acknowledge, in that acknowledgement, that you've been wrong. I've been wrong. So, uh, normally I don't speak like this, this last part now, but I want to encourage you. You know, um, if your pastor starts to preach things that's grace-based, and it's maybe different to what he preached two years ago. Amen. You know? He's been chastised by this word as well. Corrected. And through that he corrects all of us. And the fruit of this word is life. Yeah. Do you know what it is to stand before God knowing you know? Knowing you are accepted in the beloved. Mm-hmm. Knowing that you know that, that, that God has, that there's no children of the devil, that God, you know, God doesn't make, every person has been made by God. Satan doesn't have people. Satan can deceive people that has been made by God. But your origin is of God. Not of Satan. The person out there that's never accepted Christ, he's not, he's not of Satan. God made him. He's got the very image of God. And in the resurrection of Christ, 
the likeness is restored in that person as he comes to faith of this wonderful glorious truth that we are in the image and likeness of him. Amen. This, let me tell you, I, I, I like to make friends with sinners. I like to make friends with people that's not believers. And just speak to them, chat to them about this gospel. You know what? They don't reject this. They accept it. But I found where it's difficult to accept this for people who's been for years being indoctrinated through the law system. And I want to encourage you. You know, um, if, if, if you've been walking a path, and that path, it seems unto life, but the end is destruction. Here it says, Paul said that in Romans chapter 7. He says, The commandment that was ordained unto life I found to be unto death. Talking about the Ten Commandments. I thought it would bring life, but I found it's unto death. So there's a part that seems right. Listen, to get drunk, make two, two women pregnant, and use drugs doesn't seem right to anybody. So many times we think, people think, that's the part that seems right. No, that's not the part that seems right. To nobody that part seems right. Even the people that does that, they know it. They do it because of addiction. But that's not the right part. They know it. But the part that seems right is the one of the law. It seems right. But the end is death. There it says. The power of sin is the law. So if you're on that path, and you've been on that path 40 years, it's not going to help <laughs> to continue on that path. To say, well, I've been walking here now all night. Just get transferred to the other side. Now I think I must walk all this over. No, no. <laughs> Jesus has walked the whole path. He's going to the, to the, to the place of glory. <laughs> Life. Yes. I want to end off with this. The story, somebody, some guy wrote a book called Afamel. And one of my friends, I preached grace, you know, and shared grace with him, and, and he was against this thing. Yeah. No bad, you know, it's good, but it, yeah, but there's a balance. Let me tell you, you can't balance between light and darkness and have a great gospel. <laughs> this is the balance, that Jesus Christ lived a balanced life, and his life is my life. Otherwise, it's unbalanced. There's, there's no, Jesus says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, for a little leaven, leaven the whole the way he meant it. It says, watch out for the teaching of do's and don'ts. For that will contaminate your faith. Jesus did everything. So I'm blessed. He obeyed, I received the blessing. You receive the blessing. What's the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham is not a Bentley or a Mercedes. That's not the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham was this, that he was rendered righteous free from his works. That's the blessing of Abraham. That's been given to us as a gift. Hallelujah. So this guy said to me, back, you know what? I came to his office and said to me, back, you know what? You're going to work in my garden in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I said to him, why? I mean, I don't want to work 
in nobody's garden. You know, he read this book. This book says if you work good, then that is building material that the angels used to build you an abode in heaven. You know, where you will stay. And then he said to me, you know how, what this book says? This, it was major teaching all over the world. And they believe all at once. Is that heaven works like this. You get the outskirts. The bush. <laughs> it looks like Africa bush. The people just live in the bush. But at least they've made heaven. But they had nothing to sing. So they were just saved by the sting on their teeth. Those that are saved as through fire. They just made it. They had no good works, but at least they called the name of Jesus 50 years ago. So now God takes that good thing in heaven. But not a good place, but at least in heaven. I mean, the bush is better than hell. <laughs> People believe this. They sell those books. I'm not, I'm not talking about atomic brothers. Sounds like a comic, <laughs> Then you get a bit better where the mud huts are. You know, the mud huts. They're not living in the, in the bush, but in a mud hut. <laughs> At least, you know, a bit better. And then as you got closer to the center of heaven, you got better and better houses with people living more and more holy lives. You know, because that's the building material I send up. And he said to me, the people in the bush, they work in the gardens of the people with the big houses. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get rid of this African way of <laughs> So I said to him, listen, and I was, I mean, this guy is serious, so I said to him, I'll pray about it. So I went, right, said, Lord, speak to me. And I saw a vision. And in this vision was this dirt road to the gates of heaven. And I, I fell down in this road. And I was tired, for I couldn't reach the gate. And I realized I could see the gates so far. I mean, those gates are big. I could see it like 10 kilometers away. But I was, I didn't have any more strength in my body. And I collapsed on the dirt road. And I said, well, I'm on my way, but I'm not going to make it. And I was willing to die in the vision. You know, sometimes you get a vision, it's so real. And then in this vision, somebody came and kicked me you know, on the shoulder. You know, and said, stand up. He took me just here, the big man, and it was Jesus. And immediately all that heat, because it was hot, it was like the darkness heat, and the dust and the wind, and heaven to heaven and the air, can't reach. And he walked with me, he walked with me, he said, I want to show you something. He came to the gates, he didn't ask for names and stuff. I mean, I'm walking with Jesus. The gates just went open. I went in. And thrust out. You know, bush. <laughs> Small houses. Shacks. RDP houses. A bit better. Small rack house. Then we got, you know, complex house. And then to the big house. And we were walking, and then I saw this palace. I said, Jesus, but that's a massive house. That house must be all <laughs> He said to me, now that's his house, Jesus' house. He says, but he feels alone there. He's got so many rooms. 
Het enige die dat helemaal kan worden doen. En dat is de gospel. De Lord says you live out there, but he went to prepare a place for you. Go to the book of John. And he went to prepare a place for you. So I looked him up there and I said, Are you going to work in the garden of Jesus? <laughs> he said, Of course. Who's not going to work in the garden of Jesus? He said, Then you're going to work in my garden. <laughs> <laughs> the gospel in that absurd way of thinking about heaven. It's a better place for you. You don't have to send your building materials. You know, maybe you're not very good with sending those materials. Maybe you've got weaknesses in your life. They don't know how to conquer. Don't let that be the separation between you and God. He's forgiven you all your sins for He has removed that which makes you human, which is the Lord. If there's no law, the Bible says in Romans 6, there is no sin. If you remove the law, then you don't stand sinful before God. He's washed us all in His blood. He's prepared a glorious place for us inside Him. Amen. Hallelujah. His Spirit indwells us. We have the mind of Christ. We've been clothed in the very righteousness of God. And we are justified by the power of the Holy Spirit. We find newness of life and love flowing from our hearts. So many times we think that this is just a license to sin. You know, when I was preparing, I felt the Lord said, I must mention this, so I don't want to miss out on this. Let's go to Jude. Mark, it's very good long. Sure. Jude 1. Jude 1. Now listen to this. So many times we think, you know, that this message is just a license to self. I like what one of my friends Dave wrote. It says, if people pay in a million dollars into your bank account, is that now a license to be poor? Are you now going to live poor because you've got money? The same way, righteousness has been paid into your heart. The Spirit of God indwells you. Now you say, no, this is a license to sin. No, the, this grace message, you know, it's just a license to sin. Okay, so if grace is a license to sin, then John chapter 1 verse 17 must sound like this. And we beheld this glory, full of a license to sin and truth. Because the Bible says it's full of grace and truth. Grace. Sometimes we think grace is a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. It's the only license you have unto the very nature and being and righteousness of God. The law, the Bible says, that sin found its occasion by the law. In Afrikaans, So what license, what pathway did sin use to manifest in your life? He used the law. I don't have time to explain Romans 7 now, but, but that's exactly what it is. <clears throat> Sin used its pathway through the law. But God's nature's pathway is the grace of God. Yes, yes. Amen. Yes. 